0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Uh, So we have been studying in the book of Jude. And we're just going to jump right back in where we left off last week, guys. So do me a favor. uh, Open your Bibles. Can I hear those Bible pages turn? Open your Bibles. We're going to look for the book of Jude. Now, Jude is right before Revelation. So it's in the back of the book. It's kind of like the doorstep to Revelation. Okay. It's a really small book, so it's easy to miss. But boy, is it powerful. And hasn't this been a powerful study? Amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to spend a little time in Jude today as we continue, continue there, our sermon, uh, Times That Try Men's Souls, the book of Jude, but we're also going to spend some time in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to give you the heads up so when we move, because when we do, we're going to have to move pretty quickly if I'm going to get all this in. Genesis chapter 3, if you're a note taker, we'll also visit briefly, perhaps, Numbers chapter 22. And Numbers chapter 16. So, there we have it. The book of Jude, quite simply, a warning for the end time church. We've seen that, haven't we? The Acts of the Apostates, as it were. We all know of the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts that records the first church so well, but the book of Jude has been titled by many scholars as the Acts of the Apostates. Why? Well, while initially intending to write a letter centered on the topic of common salvation, the Holy Spirit has interrupted Jude and impressed upon him to write a letter that rallies the church and rallies the church to a sober mind so to contend for the faith in the midst of a prophetic attack that will be levied against the end-time church. So we should probably pay attention, huh? It's a pretty big deal. Pretenders, church. Pretenders, agents of the enemy have crept into the church unnoticed with with intent to do harm to you. That's what Jude tells us. And that's where we pick up where we left off last week. Last week when we were all snowed in and we had to do virtual. Hopefully you guys had a chance. Uh, If you weren't able to join us Sunday morning, hopefully at some point you had a chance to uh, watch the message. So we're going to pick up right where we left off in Jude verse 11. Can we read that? Let's read it. Woe to them. He's speaking of these pretenders, these who have crept in. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. This in the literal translation actually says, rushed headlong for reward. Okay, rushed headlong for reward. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and they have thirdly perished in the rebellion of Korah. So here we have, right out of the gate, aren't we finding all of these all of these allusions? There's every verse there seems to be different allusions that we have to cover over. So right out of the gate here, we have three more allusions that Jude assumes you'll understand. Because keep in mind, he's writing this letter to the end time church. It's prophetic. He's, He's giving three allusions here, again, assuming that you will understand what he is talking about. The way the error and the rebellion of these three people. Is anybody else in here thinking, man, I need to know my Bible better, right? (laughs) Because these aren't three of the most well-known stories, right? So that's okay if you are, because we're going to learn it today. Are you with me? Are you guys with me? Come on. (laughs) All right. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. I'm excited. I hope you are. Let me see that first graphic. These are our three. These are our three, guys. for you note-takers, the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. Now, truly, we could do a three-part sermon series on on just these three guys, but we're going to get them all in today because we're ambitious. Amen. Amen? Are you up for it? All right. Up until this point now, uh, we've seen corporate examples in Jude. It may have been hard for you to identify personally with Michael's example or fallen angels, so to speak, right? But these three men, these are personal. These are individual examples, okay? These three men are examples that Jude selects to make a point that is intended to apply to you and I. They are not in chronological history either, by the way, okay? One comes to us from Genesis chapter 3 and 4. The second one comes to us from Numbers chapter 22. And then the third one backtracks to Numbers chapter 16, okay? So why do so? You can be sure, let me promise you this, that when the Holy Spirit does something like that, it's intentional and it's for a reason, okay? So... Not only are these uh, errors that we need to avoid, they're also, they all also portray a process that he is calling to our attention in the text. And that process is this, the process of apostasy. Can I see that graphic? The process of apostasy is simply this. They entered a wrong path, they run riotously down that path, and they perish it Perish at the end. By putting these three in this order, this is the the lesson that we get. Apostasy church is not confined to a class of people. That's also what we see in these three examples. For example, can I on this next graphic, Cain was what was he? He was a tiller of the soil. He was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet truly was a prophet, not a fake prophet either, not, not necessarily even a false prophet. He heard from God. He was of the priesthood, in other words. So as a religious man, you've got a tiller of the soil, a farmer, common, common uh, uh, profession at the time. Balaam, holy man, and then Korah was a prince in Israel. So you've got all different classes of people. Yet still, there are two proverbs that weigh heavily, church, as As these two proverbs will serve as an overarching truth to our study of these three men today. And those proverbs are this Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, and Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. They read, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So true, this proverb that the Holy Spirit repeated it word for word twice. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Just because it seems right, church, it doesn't mean that it is. We have to understand this, church. Just because it seems right, it doesn't mean that it is. So first of all, we're going to look at uh, the way of Cain. All right? The way of Cain, I've got a lot of uh, visual uh, learning tools for you guys today, all right? What is this way of Cain? Well, simply put, guys, our natural natural judgment is not a reliable guide for spiritual things. Plain and simple. Just because it seems right, it doesn't mean that it is, okay? Our natural judgment is not a reliable guide for spiritual things. We're going to see that. Creation reveals the creator to us, doesn't it? We look outside, we see the beauty of the sunshine on the snow and the trees, and we see the beauty of even how he made us so intricately. Have you ever uh, looked into uh, studying the science of the body with all of the electrical neurons and just the nervous system alone? It's fascinating, isn't it? The creation itself reveals the creator, but it also reveals his design in things. It, It reveals... the the presence of his personality, that God, yes, actually has a personality as he's put a personality in you. But creation, church, and that includes you, creation innately cannot communicate his redemptive plan. Redemption is God's greatest work. The work of redemption is even a greater work than the creation itself. After all, creation is cursed, church. The creation is cursed. Redemption is revealed supernaturally to us through the word of God, by his word. We cannot, the lesson here is going to be, we cannot rely upon our own judgment separate from the Holy Spirit. Does anybody in here know that? There is a way that seems right to man. Remember that. So let's set this up. Genesis chapter three, verse 23 through 24. Let's read that. Therefore, and I'm reading the New King James Version today, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Set up here. Where are we? Genesis chapter 3. What just happened in the Garden of Eden? Do you guys remember? Satan came, tempts Eve, Adam, they eat of the tree of life. Remember? The shining one comes down. That's an interesting study of the serpent translated into the Bible. That is a word for serpent, but a better translation of that might actually be the shining one, interestingly enough. but That's a rabbit trail. <laughs> Let's keep reading. So verse 24, He drove out the man out of the garden, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. And a flaming sword, and a flaming sword which turned, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Interesting here is that, you know, that sword. Whenever I used to read that, I'd think, okay, so he's guarding the door to the Garden of Eden. So he is not going to let Adam back in. That's not what this is saying at all here. Notice the cherubim doesn't have the sword. It's the sword itself that is guarding the way to the tree of life. And so that way has been protected and guarded by this flaming sword ever since then. And it's still protected for you and I to find that way to the tree of life, which is through Christ Jesus. Let's keep reading, though. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 1 and 2, immediately after the next verses. Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The first pregnancy here. And this is exciting because remember what just happened in the Garden of Eden. Uh, what happened in the, uh, the chapter earlier, she had just learned that the way to redemption would come from her seed, the seed of the woman remember what God said, the seed of the woman. So she's probably really excited, thinking, oh, this is it. The way to the redemption is here, not knowing the fullness of God's plan and how long it would take, surely. Verse, uh, verse 2. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Make a note of this, guys, okay? Okay. Uh, What we are about to read has nothing to do with one profession being better than another. Some teachers love to say, oh, it's being the shepherd was a more honorable profession and that's why he didn't receive the offering from Cain and it has nothing to do with that. Verse three, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Pay attention to that. The fruit of the ground Verse four, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, verse five, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Why? Why not? And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Let me unpack this for you guys a little bit because there's some obvious questions, right? What was Cain's mistake, huh? He didn't deny the existence of God. He didn't refuse to worship God. He was not in rebellion. You know, some scholars believe that back then, God would literally come down in a pillar of fire and lap up the sacrifices that were put before him. And it's a pretty cool study, But whatever he did, whatever Cain did, it didn't work. If fire was supposed to come down and consume it, it didn't, leaving Cain, envious of his brother, upset, which led to the second murder in the Bible. Some people think that this was the first murder in the Bible, but really, what was the first murder in the Bible? Anyone? Adam, when he sinned and death Entered the world. So, but what's the mistake? Don't Christians, you and I, have these same qualities? Not denying the existence of God, not refusing to worship, not in rebellion, right? What's the difference between Cain and us in this scenario? How can we be sure in that case, if these are our questions? That God accepts what we bring him if he didn't accept what Cain brought him? This should be a big question for us <laughs> if we read this passage honestly. Well, Hebrews gives us some insight. Hebrews chapter 11, the famous chapter of what? Faith. We've got some Bible students out here. You look at the Word of God, there are some famous, famous scriptures, right? You've got 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, famous for what? Love, right? Hebrews uh, chapter 11, famous for faith. Let's read verse 1 through 4. Now faith is the absence of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse 3. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You guys that love quantum physics, you should love this verse. I'm talking about dimensional things here. Verse 4. This is where we gain our true insight. By faith. By faith, Abel Offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. How cool is that? What was there about Abel's offering? Can you tell me? Based on this? What what was it about Abel's offering? It was made in faith, church. It was made in faith. How does faith come? Anybody know? Faith comes by hearing. That's right, by hearing. Abel had heard something that's obviously not detailed in Genesis, or we'd have it there. Abel's offering was in response to a commandment, and he gave it by faith. So what was this? What was it? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 through 21 shows us, shows us. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And this is interesting. Underline that. We may put a pin in that and come back at this time. Because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. Why did he do this? God personally himself came down and made them, clothed them, put tunics of skin on them himself. Why? I mean, there have been times that God sends angels to do other things, take care of certain things. This specifically, he did himself, kind of like burying the body of Moses, like we talked about last week, right? Why did God do it? were the were the fig leaves not good enough? Did he think did he was he not into the fashion, right? Or did he want them to be more comfortable, perhaps? Yeah, like using leaves. This is just pathetic. You, what you need is an animal skin, right? Did he want them to be more comfortable? No. God knew church. God knew what it would take. He knew what it would take, what he would do, what he would give to redeem his children, and he never wanted them to forget it. From the beginning, church, from the beginning, the practice, the ritual of spilling blood for the redemption of sins was instituted. Why? Haven't you ever read the Old Testament and you see all of the animal sacrifices and you just think, why why is this really necessary? Seriously. I mean, kind of barbaric, right? All the blood everywhere, animals, really? Sacrifice, blood, everything? I mean, I have, I'm just being honest with you. Okay, I mean, here's the thing is we're, we're coming up on um, Re- Resurrection Sunday and Holy Week, and, and we always teach uh, on P- uh, Palm Sunday about the 10th of Nisan and, and the lamb that they would take into the house and make sure that it's spotless. I mean, they literally brought this lamb into the house. Can you imagine for a second bringing a cute little lamb into the home and your kids falling in love with it, Right? living with it, and then you kill it in front of them, right? That's sort of shocking to the senses, isn't it? The thought of it? Why then? Here's why. So the children of God would know it when they saw it. So they would know it when they saw it. It was God's way of showing us, church, that sin is serious. Sin is serious. And, that, and also to show us that sin has to be paid for. It has, I know it's unpleasant. I know we would like just to let everybody get away with everything, right? Or at least ourselves. But sin must be paid for. It was only always, church, a foreshadowing, a model of what Jesus would do to redeem the world through the seed of the woman. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Revelation chapter 19, we discover that God consistently presents the principle that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Church, It all pointed to the cross, even way back in Genesis chapter 3. Ooh, I got chills. The cross is preached from the beginning. There is a scarlet thread that runs through the entire word of God from Genesis through Revelation, and it is the thread of grace. Mm. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam called Eve the mother of all living. Remember we put that pin there? He did that as a foreshadowing of the Messiah that she would give birth to. God instituted the concept of faith, therefore, as early as Adam and Eve. Can you believe that? As early as Adam and Eve. And this gives us more insight, therefore, into Cain and Abel's sacrifices then, doesn't it? I see this next graphic. We know that Cain was a tiller of the soil. He was a tiller of the soil, which is great because they needed food. And Abel was a tender of sheep. Why was he tending sheep? Well, it wasn't for food, because guess what? They didn't eat meat. Did you know that? They didn't eat meat in the Bible until after the flood. As a matter of fact, eating meat up until that point, it was still forbidden. So why raise sheep then? What do you need the sheep for? Wool, maybe, to keep warm. That makes sense, right? Or maybe an answer that makes more sense is for the offerings for the type and shadow that God had instituted from the beginning so his people would know it when they saw it, when a redemption had arrived, that the sh- there can be no remission for sins without the shedding of blood. He instituted it from there. Abel's offering was by faith. And thanks to, we know that thanks to Hebrews 11 verse 4. Cain didn't bring God the sacrifice he was supposed to. The only basis on which we can approach God is on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, church. It's getting less and less popular to teach that anymore. But it doesn't, it's not any less true. Cain didn't do that. He brought the works of his own hands. Hear me on this. He brought the works of his own hands. He said, I'll bring you what I do. Abel gets to bring you what he does, though you're still asking me specifically to bring this to you and carry on this type and shadow. You know what? I'm going to bring you what I do. And that's blasphemy, church. You see this next graphic? The way of Cain is this, to blaspheme God. To blaspheme God, declaring that his salvation is incomplete by trying to add to it. This is serious stuff. Jude assumes that his readers, the end-time church, you, he assumes that you know this. Do you know this? Salvation by faith or by works is the heart of the issue here. We can't make it by our own efforts. We can't. We'd like to think that we have something to do with it. You know, the flesh is so corrupt that it always wants a piece of the credit. Jesus died on this cross for my sins, and I accept that and put my faith and trust in him to save me, so that's great. But now I'm doing pretty good, right? I mean, now now i got to keep this thing up. Now I'm going to be good enough to deserve it and earn it you'll never deserve it you will never you can never earn it we live the good life out of gratitude right amen attempting to earn a position with the lord declares the position that you have by faith is inadequate think about that this by definition therefore is blasphemy Good works are not let this stick. What do they say in the South? Stick in your craw. I don't know. Is that a saying? Just popped in there. Sorry. Good works, good works that we have and that we do, are not an attempt to earn salvation. They are a response to our salvation. Amen. Cain perished because of it. Cain was made an example for us to avoid. God wants offerings by faith, not by works. This is a theme throughout the scripture, and it starts right here from the very beginning, church. We can't add anything to the completed work of Jesus and the cross, no matter what we do. Both were believers. Cain and Abel, both were believers. Both brought offerings even. One saved, one not saved. Let that sink in. One followed instructions. One chose his own way and it didn't work. To me, it's reminiscent of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that story that comes to us from Luke chapter 18, uh, verses nine through 14. Remember that story? The tax collector and the Pharisee. One beat his breast before God, just so repentive. before everybody. And the Pharisee stood in the back piously and looked at him and said, huh, I'm glad I'm not like him, a lowly tax collector, because I do this and I do that and I'm great. Mm. Jesus in that parable, of course, in that story, told us that it was the tax collector with the honest, open, and broken heart that he received. There is a way that seems right to man. But it leads to death. That is the way of Cain, church. Now the way of Balaam can I see those three again? This next or go back to our main graphic, or it should be next. The way of Cain. What's this Balaam? You guys know who this guy is? Who's Balaam? Anybody know? Not one of the most popular guys in the Bible, right? Comes to us from Numbers chapter 22. And as a matter of fact, um, for time's sake, I'm going to give you homework and say, go read Numbers chapter 22, okay? The story really comes to us from Numbers chapter 22, but it's not just in Numbers 22. We'd really have to cover several chapters to get the whole picture on who Balaam is. But let me give you the rundown, okay? He was a real prophet, a real prophet. He was not a poser. He spoke directly to God, all right? As a matter of fact, the angel of the Lord came and visited him. And several times throughout the Old Testament, we see and learn that whenever you see that the angel of the Lord came and it's just that, a lot of times that's the person of Jesus Christ, okay? Like in the burning bush, for example. But he was not a poser. He was a real, actual uh, uh, prophet. We see in Numbers chapter 24 as well that it was legit. But, you know, he had some prophecies, some important, but he was best known for his screw-ups, to be honest with you. Uh, Which brings to light another point, uh, you know, without rabbit trailing here. Romans chapter 11, verse 9 tells us that the gifts that God gives us are without revoking. Have you ever had somebody in your life that is just so gifted and you know they're utilizing, like, giftings? That the Holy Spirit has given them at one point in their life. They're gifted, but they use them to enrich themselves or to do harm to others. And you're like, ah, Lord, why do you let her, her, him keep the gift that they're using? They're using your gift that you, for wickedness. Well, the gifts are without revoking. And this is a perfect case and point of that. He was greedy for gold, Greedy for gold, he was hired by the enemies of the people of God, Balak, the King Balak of Moab. He was hired by him to curse the children of God, and he was warned by God not to do it. But he he refused initially, but then he relented because of his lust for gold and his greed. The Lord, therefore, in his anger sent the angel of the Lord, and there is this whole scene I mean it. Go read the story. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. The Lord in his anger ascends the angel of the Lord. Uh, uh, the, the spirit of the Lord stood in his path, blocking the path. And Balaam's donkey could see the angel of the Lord, but Balaam couldn't see it. So the donkey is like trying to like stop and he's trying to turn left and right. At one point, they're going through a narrow place where there's rocks, and the donkey slams into the rocks, and it hits Balaam's foot, and Balaam's like whipping the donkey, and he's cursing at the donkey, and all of a sudden, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey says, why are you beating me? I mean, for real, can you imagine that for a second? I mean, it's pretty cool to think about, you know, the uh, apocryphal book of Jubilees talks about how the animals could all speak before the flood, or before the fall. And wouldn't that be something if that were true? But uh, I don't think you can take that to the bank. But in this case, we see a donkey speaking, literally. Does anybody have a joke about a donkey speaking? Or No? Wives, don't look at your husbands, right? Okay. <laughs> Just low-lying fruit. We can't go there, right? All right. So, the Lord uh, ultimately through the story, the Lord only lets him speak blessings over the people of Israel. Okay. So his plan is being foiled. He doesn't. He doesn't get the. He doesn't get the, the riches that he wants. But this is the crux. This is the crux of of the story of Balaam, according to Jude. Can I see this next graphic? Here's what happens next. The Lord only let him speak blessings. So what happens? Well, deprived of the rewards promised by Balak, king of Moab, Balaam's covetous heart conceives an evil thought. If he could just counsel the, wi- the women of Midian and Moab to tempt the Israelites and cause them to sin, this story comes to us in Numbers chapter 31, then God would have to punish his people indirectly, he can ach- achieve Balak's goals through trickery, through sorcery. Although I can't, God won't let me speak a curse over them, you know what I'll do? The Israelites are not supposed to marry any other tribe. They're not supposed to marry with Moabites. They're not supposed to, they're supposed, the Israelites were supposed to stay, stay pure in their bloodline. Why? Well, it goes back to Genesis 3 again, because through the seed of the woman would come the Savior. So they're instructed by God to keep that bloodline clean, which plays into Genesis chapter 6 and the defending of the bloodline. That's why so many different times uh, Satan tried to kill Jesus long before he was ever born. Remember the babies being thrown into the Nile River of Egypt, right? Uh, Many different times, genocide was attempted against the people of Israel to try and cut off the seed line of the Messiah. In any case, they were not supposed to marry anybody who wasn't Hebrew or Israelite. So what what does he do? I know. I'll get the women of Moab to tempt them. They'll lie with them and then they'll be sinning and then God will have to punish them and Balak will have his way. I'll have my riches. There we go. Balak's purpose would be served and Balaam would be rich. So here is my application question for you. Have you ever tried to get around sin in your mind? Just tried to get around it. Have you ever tried to get around doing the right thing to achieve your unrighteous, we'll say, goals or aspirations? Well, Balaam caused another one to sin in order to justify his action and gain So much so that he endeavored to bring the disfavor of God down upon his fellow people because it would make him rich. Mm. And by his estimation, and this is where it gets scary, because some people are good at this. By his estimation, his hands would be clean in the matter. For real. Jude said, some will creep in among you. Does it sound like any narcissist you know? I don't know. And I'm not talking about Congress or your mother in law here, okay? (laughs) Necessarily. Don't put that on me, all right? I didn't say that. I've got enough to deal with. Let's see this next graphic. So, Balaam. Balaam. According to uh, Jude 11, I see that next graphic. Balaam, the heir of Balaam. Suppose the righteous God had to curse the evident immorality in Israel. We also see reference, Peter reference the way of Balaam. Balaam gets a lot of prophetic attention. The way of Balaam in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Peter talks about how a hireling will, can make a market for his gift and sell it. And then Revelation chapter two, verse 14 talks about the doctrine of Balaam, which is essentially spiritual unchastity, marrying the world, in other words, OK? Being married to the worm, Balaam took the way of Cain. He lived riotously after he got his reward from Balak, but he perished miserably with the enemies of God in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. Next graphic. In summary on Balaam, church, the error of Balaam in summary, he sacrificed, this is what Jude wants you to know, he sacrificed eternal riches for temporal gain. Lust for pleasures of sin for a season. Greed for the treasures of Egypt, in other words. It's hearkening back to when Paul talked of Demas who abandoned him on the missionary trail. He said, having loved this present world too much, he abandoned me. The passion for, world, for worldly enticements to interfere with your eternal riches, in other words, church. That is the error of Balaam. And lastly of our three, can I say our three one more time? We're going to be on time. I love this. The rebellion of Korah. The rebellion of Korah. It's a story that is not well known at all, but it comes to us from Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it, shall we? Let's read it. Numbers 16, verse 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Ebiram, The son of Eliab, and on the and on the son of Peleth, son of Reuben, they took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty leaders. Think of that realm of influence. That's a lot, guys. 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. These are the big hitters. These are their leaders. Verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourself, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Moses was a type of Christ, church. He was a type of Christ. He was the mediator between God and the people of Israel. He was the mediator between God and men. So the question here really is... As Korah leads these men before Moses, he's saying, is is a mediator necessary? That's really the question he's saying here. Everyone, Everyone is holy. You take too much upon yourself. Is a mediator truly necessary? Korah says, we've got this, Moses. We've got this. Something that is lost on us in the Garden of Gethsemane is this, church. That you remember this—the this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, "Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me." It's a beautiful, type and shadow of the marriage, uh, marriage, uh, uh, Galilean Jewish marriage uh, a ceremony. It's a type and shadow. It's beautiful, but one thing that gets lost when we study that story is, you know, we remember oh, though the disciples are sleeping. Oh, wake up! Can't believe they couldn't stay awake for just a little bit, right? And he goes back to the Lord, or he goes back to his father. Three times he goes back to his father, and each time he goes back, he says, Lord, if there's any way to to take this burden from me, essentially, that'd be great. But not my will, yours be done. In other words, if there is any other way that we can get this done without what's in front of me tomorrow on the cross, that'd be great. He goes back to the disciples, comes back, prays the same thing. Goes to the disciples, wakes them up, comes back, does the same thing. So three times he says, if there's any way that a mediator isn't necessary. <laughs> but guess what the answer is? Every time. The mediator is necessary, church. It was necessary. So let's keep reading number 16. Let's jump to 28 and through 33. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. Verse 29. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. Verse 30. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them. Think about that. All that belongs, their house goes with them, right? And they go down alive into Sheol, into the pit. Obviously, they would have perished in the fall, but they lived as they fell into the pit Sheol there, which is, if you've been studying Revelation with this on Wednesday night, that's very interesting then you will understand that these men have rejected the lord verse 31 now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them verse 32 and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households that's their all of them their families their houses their households and all the men with korah all their goods even verse 33 so they, they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Next graphic, the rebellion of Korah. What do we see? The rebellion of Korah. We like to think, church, that the way is much bigger than it really is. We like to think that it's broader. You know, unfortunately though, for those thoughts in our minds, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, that narrow is the way, but broad is the path that leads to hell. Korah and the guys that rebelled that didn't feel that Moses had any special ordination, they learned the hard way, church, that there must be a mediator for sin. How much, is, uh, how much is the universalist religion propagated these days? I mean, we can see it right now. We see it right now. The Pope is in the news. He's talking about, we're bringing all the major religions together for ChriSLam. One new world religion. I'm not even joking. That's legit. They're building, so they're going to have a mosque. They're going to have a, a temple. Uh, for the Jews, and they're going to have a a Catholic church. Three buildings and one big square bringing together the three major world religions. Are we in the end times yet? Feels like it a little bit. (laughs) Can I see this next picture? You guys might have seen this online. I think it's important to mention since it's our hometown. Nashville Church says that the Bible isn't the Word of God then draws ire. This is a church in South Nashville. It's universalism. Many paths to God. Many paths to God. Uh, Propagating things like, you know what? The sin that you have in your life, come as you are, stay how you are. Don't even worry about the sin in your life because God made you the way that he made you, so he obviously made you to sin. And you know what? Oh, I know the Bible says... It completely goes against everything that I'm teaching, but uh, yeah, don't worry about that because that's not really the, the Word of God, anyway. And it's a church. If this doesn't ring of Jude, I don't know what does because I used to go to that church. I went to that church for four years. Four years. We, all, uh, Amber and I ultimately ended up leaving the church when we discovered that Asher was being taught some things in Sunday school that, uh, you no, know, the flood wasn't really a flood and it was more regional and this and that. And we were like, what? But we didn't even sniff apostasy up until that point, guys. Some have crept in among you unnoticed. And there's the fruit there's the fruit church. So, well, let's wrap this up. All three made se- all three of these cases; these people made serious errors in judgment for which they perished. Individually, each covers a particular aspect of what it means to fall away from the truth. I see the next graphic. This is the process of apostasy, church. This is the process of apostasy. What do they do? They enter. A wrong path. They start down the wrong path. Not only that, they run riotously down it. And what happens in the end? They perish at its end. this should have our attention because it doesn't just happen here in the Scripture Church. It happens in Nashville. For the the scary thing is, church, is that for those who go down this path, there is no hope. They... And they're among us. Perhaps not now in this room, right? But they have been. Trust me, I've looked them in the eye. I see the next graphic. They knowingly, they knowingly choose. We have one more graphic. They knowingly choose the way of Cain rather than the way of Christ. They knowingly choose the error of Balaam rather than the truth of Christ. They perish like Korah rather than living through Christ. Don't let them mislead you, church. Don't let them rob you because they are here now. They are among us. Anchor yourself to the word of God, church. I appeal to you. It is our sword. It is our sword. And in closing, let me do this. Let me read through this because it goes right with it. Jude, verse 12 and 13. That way we can say we got more, through more than one verse in Jude, right? <laughs> Let's read verse 12 and 13. These, these, who he speaks of, are spots in your love feast, their gatherings. They would always love to gather. Our ga- Remember our gather at the tables the first Sunday of every month? I can't wait to do those again. I tell you what such great fellowship. They got together. This is what he's talking about. They're, they're, fellowshipping. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea. Foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You can imagine there's a lot in that those two verses, can't you? Those are some pretty stunning visuals he gives us. Maybe we'll touch on that next week. This may be the longest book in the Bible to study, I don't know. <laughs> Truly. And it's only one chapter. But that's pretty much par for the course with the Word of God, isn't it? Mm. Guard your hearts, church. Mm. I'll invite Leith up. Guard your hearts. Know the truth. We say it all the time, don't we? Know what you believe and why you believe it. What is your belief and your stance on any issue in our culture? What do you believe about it? Why do you believe it? Well, Because the Bible says so? Where does the Bible say so? Know what you believe and why you believe it, church. That has been a clarion call for our church since the beginning. Know what you believe and why so you can be bold for the truth. It's hard to be bold for the truth when you don't know it. So when you have done all that you can do to stand, you can stand firm still. Amen? Amen. Cain, Balaam, and Korah, they entered a wrong path. They ran riotously down it, and they perished at its end. They'll be among us, but don't let them fool you. Amen? With every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning, and the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart in whatever way, Maybe you identify with some of what the story of Cain is. Maybe you've been trying to add to your salvation. Maybe you've been feeling like the Pharisee that looks at the tax collector who's got the broken heart. Maybe there's some arrogance that needs to go. Maybe you've been selling your gifting. Maybe you've been using your gift to do harm to others. Or just not using it in the way that the Lord would have you. Whatever it is, church, if that Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, I want you to lay down those concerns. I want you to lay down those confessions before the throne this morning, all right? Just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Lay it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Clear your heart. God is good. Let him have it. Don't carry that burden with you anymore. The next step you take is the first step in a new day, a new direction. If you're here this morning and you need to surrender your life because maybe you have been running riotously down a wrong path and you need to hit the brakes and turn it around right now and you want to surrender your heart and give your life to Jesus maybe for the first time or maybe just for the first time in a long time, raise your hand. You can put it right back down. No one's looking around. This is between me and you and the Lord. And I just want to pray with you. You can put it right back down. Thanks. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for the faithfulness of your word, God, and your Holy Spirit, Lord. You're so faithful to lead us into all truth, You're so faithful to correct us, God, when we get off track, Lord. You're so faithful to renew us and refresh us, Lord. Lord, we come before you and we lay all these things down. Just continue to reveal the truth to us through your word, Lord, led by the Holy Spirit blow on the ember of our hearts into full flame, Lord, that the only path we would run down would be yours, God, the path that you have set out before us, Lord, that we would run to you as fast as we can into your open arms, Lord Jesus. Say this prayer with me now. Let's all say it out loud for those who rose their hand a moment ago. Say this with me, church. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. I put my faith in you, that my eternity is secure in you. Come into my heart and make me new, and walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much.